0: Hello, this is retired Army First Sergeant Mark Flowers, and I would like to welcome you to the inaugural episode of the Fixed Bayonets podcast, Military History You Didn't Learn in School. I served for over 21 years in the service, four years in the Navy, and then 17 years as a soldier in the U.S. Army. My primary career field while I served was in combat arms, In the Navy, I was a hospital corpsman attached to a Fleet Marine Force Infantry Unit. In fact, I served with the 1st and 3rd Marine Divisions in the years 1980 to 1984. And in the Army, I served with the 11th Armored Cavalry Regiment in Germany during the Cold War, with the 1st Infantry Division, the fabled Big Red One in Operation Desert Shield and Desert Storm, as a U.S. Army recruiter, and then I completed my service as an infantryman with the 2nd Battalion, 162nd Infantry in the state of Oregon in our National Guard. My father was a career soldier, which we'll come back to in a bit. And I've always loved reading about, studying military history, one aspect or another. And over the years, actually decades, my interest have become focused on the United States experience in the mid to late 20th century. I'm fascinated with the place in time where bravery and fear intersect, where technology and willpower cross, and in the place at the sharp end of the spear where battles are won and lost and lives are saved and people sometimes, unfortunately, pay the ultimate price. I love reading about the big picture in military history. But for me personally, the most critical part is, as I mentioned earlier, at the sharp end of the spear, where people engage in struggles that are so huge that it's hard to find a perspective in them. And how human beings survive fight, cope, and go on to do it again in these kinds of engagements. I'm recording this episode in September of 2020. As you may know, September is National Suicide Prevention Month. And suicide is a terrible problem across our society. But I'd like to focus for a few minutes on the topic of soldier and veteran suicide. This is something personal for me. And it also is a mark of how important that I feel it is that I dedicate my inaugural podcast to the topic. This is not just something academic for me. I'm a military suicide survivor. My father was a World War II combat veteran, and he served in the Army for 24 years, and he killed himself with a handgun when he was 56 and I was 19, just before I enlisted in the service for the first time. I'm also a combat veteran, as I mentioned earlier in the episode. And so I have always wondered what drove my father to kill himself. It was a tragedy that he survived so much in World War II. He was a Silver Star recipient, a Purple Heart holder. He earned the Bronze Star and the Combat Infantry Badge, but he could never find peace in his post-war life. In particular, after he retired from the Army and he lost his center of gravity, his reason for being. And I always felt growing up that my father struggled for years and years trying to find his place in the world. He had a very well-established, secure, and predictable place in the Army. The uniform, the authority, the awards, his training, his skills, his status as a combat veteran. But then once he was unmoored from the army, he fell into a pattern of alcoholism, anger, rage, and not knowing where to channel his energy. He, My father really lost himself. And so I've always felt that the ultimate tragedy with my dad, in addition to the fact that he destroyed our family when he killed himself, was that he had gone through all of these struggles. And at the end, he couldn't find the will and the strength to go on. We talk a lot about post-traumatic stress disorder. And before my dad died in, in 1979, it had not been identified as a condition affecting people that had experienced horribly traumatic incidents. And PTSD is certainly not confined to combat veterans. In fact, in the armed forces, many people are exposed to horribly traumatic incidents. Survivors of military sexual trauma, people that have been involved in severe training accidents, people who have witnessed uh, horrific events. The military is a dangerous business. And it puts soldiers, Marines, sailors, airmen, and Coast Guardsmen in places where where they have to make life-and-death decisions, even in training. And so it's understandable that some people develop uh, stress after these kinds of incidents. The challenge is what to do with it. The military has struggled very hard over the last 15 or 20 years to reduce the stigma involved in reaching out for help for emotional and psychological problems. But nevertheless, it is still very hard for service members to raise their hand and say, I had something happen to me, it was a problem, and I don't know how to deal with it. The other thing that I think plays into this on a very strong level is the fact that when we are in the service, we're involved in, t- in a team. We have all of our friends, our buddies, our shipmates, and we're all working together. We play together we train together, we work together, and in some cases we go and fight together. And then when we come back home, after our traumatic experiences, everyone gets transferred to new units, some people get discharged, everyone goes on their own way. And so we've spent all this time together in teams developing these really deep relationships with other people. Some of our friends have gotten killed, other ones have gotten wounded, And they just disappear from the battlefield. You know, you don't have, if you're in combat and one of your friends gets wounded, you really don't have time to have a nice closure goodbye with them. They get whisked off in a helicopter or in an ambulance, and everyone else continues with the mission. And so it forces you to swallow your emotions because you have a job to do. And sometimes you have a job that is still every bit as dangerous as the one that just saw your friend be removed from the battlefield, and you may never see that person again. And so once we come back home, we are left to figure out these huge, life-changing events, essentially alone. And so that's where folks run into challenges. Because oftentimes when we join the service, we're very young. We, When you're 18 or 19 years old, you hardly know how life works. And then all of a sudden... You're placed in positions where you're in charge of millions of dollars worth of equipment. You've got uh, live ammunition. You're making life and death decisions. And then when it's all over, you're by yourself. And so where do you go? Where do you turn? How do you figure out exactly what happened to you and how it fits in with the bigger picture of your life? And that's what people struggle with. We all try to find patterns in our lives because that's human nature. It's how we make sense of the world around us. And so we're always looking, even if it's subconsciously, for patterns. And so when things happen that don't fit into a reasonable pattern, we start asking, in particular after it's happened and we have time to process it, we ask ourselves, why? Why did this happen? Why did someone die? Why did he decide to do this? Why didn't she do that? Why didn't I do that? How come it was them and not me? And so our brains go into overdrive to try to make sense of these overwhelming experiences and we get stuck into a loop because there are some things that we just can't make sense of. You know, I asked myself when I was a young man, in my 20s, a million times why my father chose that moment to commit suicide. Uh, My experiences in combat, while not at the same level of intensity in Desert Storm, as many combat veterans in Vietnam and Korea and World War II experienced, were nonetheless traumatic. And when I came home, I felt conflicted about a lot of what I had experienced, what I had done, and... And so, for a long time, I doubted myself after the war because I lost my underpinnings of my buddies. I went to a recruiting command where it was a a stressful environment, all of its own. And I found myself with the whisper in the back of my head, you don't belong here. This is not your place. This has to end. And those feelings were insidious, and they're very hard to overcome. And I felt at the time that I could not say to anyone that was in a position of authority over me, I need help. And so I swallowed it. And this went on for years. And then when I retired from the army, like my dad, I lost my emotional underpinning that was so important to all of us, our sense of self-worth, and and, our, and how where our place in the world is. I lost that suddenly, and I was left flailing for several years, at least, not understanding what was happening to me. And it took a long time for me to look in the mirror and admit to myself that I was messed up and that I needed help. You know, uh, I won't bore you with all of the details of the things that I experienced in my life. But suffice it to say, that I was lost until I reached out for help at the VA, and that's when I started to realize that there was nothing wrong with me. That I was one of countless people who have experienced things, not while not exactly like that. Those that I lived through, they're still human beings, and they've experienced horrible events. Whether it's World War II or Korea, or Vietnam, or or any of the other operations that our armed forces have engaged in. And they're all scratching their heads, asking themselves, what do I do? Where do I fit in? How do I go forward? It's kind of a cliche, the idea that someone can't go back. I'm sure you've heard that before. And it makes a lot of sense when you think about it. The past has already gone. It's back there behind us, and we're moving forward. We can't change anything that happened then. But what we can do is decide today that we're going to give ourselves permission to let go of the constant nagging idea in our head, what if, why, why, why. Some things happen to us that just do not have an answer. And so being able to tell yourself, you know, that was a messed up situation that we lived through. I don't understand it, but I'm going to give myself permission to put it in a cupboard for a bit and focus on other things. The thing is, a lot of veterans get to a place where they think there is no hope. I had a wonderful friend who... I served with in the army that had chronic back pain and uh, he had a morphine pump put in from the veterans administration and it malfunctioned and it malfunctioned for a long time and he tried to go to the VA and get it fixed and they kept messing it up and he was in constant agony he had been a special forces soldier earlier in his career and had fractured his spine Um, in a parachute jump and it kept getting worse and worse and worse. And so his name was Carlos and he was a great guy, funny, dependable, your perfect example of a career soldier, but his pain just got worse and worse and worse. And he felt like he wasn't getting heard and he struggled with PTSD as well from his combat experience in Vietnam. And Carlos finally got to a day where he woke up and he couldn't go on. He called the police and told them, I'm going to leave my front door open. I'm going out in the backyard. There's no one around. I'm going to kill myself. By the time you get here, I'll be dead. And there's no danger to you. And then he put a bullet into his mouth. And he left so many of his friends, his battle buddies, wondering. Because when one of your friends commits suicide, especially one that you've shared extreme hardship with, the whisper comes into your own head. You're next. You're next. He did it. We were the same. Now it's my turn. And that whisper can be very strong. And the way to silence the whisper, is to reach for help. Because there are people that want to help us when we are struggling in something that we feel we have no control over. Our friends want to be there for us, but we have to reach out. You know, one of the challenges for veterans is that we develop, as I mentioned earlier, we develop these really intense relationships, and then when we're done, we, go, we scatter to the entire winds in our nation. And it's very hard to maintain those, those bonds of communication that we had when we were together on active duty. But nevertheless, our friends are still our friends, whether they live in Oregon or North Carolina or anywhere in between. And so if you're struggling with what happened to you in combat, and I'll, I'll speak of that specifically, you can bet there are people that you served with that are feeling the exact same way. The challenge is, if I'm feeling badly in Oregon, where I live, and my friend's feeling badly in Virginia, where she lives, we don't know about it until we communicate and open an honest dialogue to figure out what's going on. And so people want to help us. We just need to ask for it. You know, you can call your friend up, and I guarantee you that if they don't answer the phone there's another friend that wants to talk to you. And if you can't find them, there's another one. Don't give up. Part of the soldier's creed says, I will never quit. Suicide is never the answer. It is not. I'm here to tell you, as a survivor of military suicide, that that decision to kill yourself is one that is going to haunt your family for as long as they're alive whether they're four years old when it happens, whether they're 15, 19, 20, 30, it doesn't matter. Your suicide does not end their suffering. It only increases it. Another part of the soldier's creed states, I will never accept defeat. You came home alive from your war and you deserve to live. By accepting defeat, giving in to suicide, you are essentially saying, I lost, you are not a loser. You are a human being who deserves to live and find some peace in this world. You fought for it. It's your right, fight, fight and never give up. I was a police officer for 10 years after my army career. And unfortunately, I went to a number of suicide calls that I investigated as a patrol officer. And there were also times when I went to calls with my with my teammates in the police department where we stopped people who had attempted to commit suicide. We either intervened in some cases uh, before they were able to go through with it, or we got there in time to get them rushed to the hospital. And I remember talking to people who had attempted to commit suicide unsuccessfully that they were happy in many cases that we were able to help them live because they realized with hindsight that these overwhelming problems that they thought faced them weren't so big and that they were glad to have a second chance. Give yourself a chance to live. You earned it and you're not alone. People want to help you. People want to reach out to you. And here's the secret. When you reach out to your battle buddy that you shared so much with, for help, they're not just helping you. They're helping themselves, too. The Veterans Crisis Line stands ready 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, to help us when we need help. Their number is 1-800-273-8255, and then press 1. Once again, the Veterans Crisis Line is one 800 press 1. Never give up, never surrender, stay in the fight. I want to thank you for being with me on my inaugural episode of the Fix Bayonets Podcast, Military History You Didn't Learn in School. To learn more about what I do, visit my website at fixbayonets.us. And I look forward to talking to you again, and I hope you have an outstanding day. Thank you for listening.